Hello there, and welcome to Casual Fridays. I am your host, Tada, and this podcast is part of my I Read Aloud channel, where I read fairy tales, short stories, children's stories, poems, letters, and other excerpts. So if you like such content, make sure to subscribe. Uh, you'll find me on YouTube under at I Read Aloud in the search box. You can also find me on Instagram, TikTok, and X, also under at I Read Aloud. I also wanted to know that this podcast airs every Friday on the following platforms, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Samsung Podcasts, Podcast Index, Listen Notes, RSS, and Spotify. Today's episode is titled On Marriage. And initially, I wanted to give an introduction on the history of marriage and follow that with a comparison between a functional marriage and a dysfunctional marriage. But as I was going through the history of marriage and researching that, it turned out into a whole episode all by itself, and it's so interesting. It's really interesting information that you wouldn't even think to look up unless you're really researching the topic. So I decided to actually create two episodes on marriage. So today is on marriage part one, and next week we'll discuss, you know, what makes a functional marriage versus a, what makes a dysfunctional marriage, and that would be episode two or on marriage part two. So let me concentrate today on the history of marriage. And I will start by telling you that the institution of marriage is less than 4,500 years old. And it came to exist with the establishment and evolvement of civilization. It began initially as a transactional agreement whereby titled men, of course, we're talking about wealthy men, and don't forget that it's wealthy men who created this institution in the first place along with the church. So it was a transactional agreement to begin with where titled men wished for more wealth and so exchanged their daughters for that wealth except that it was said that the primary purpose of marriage was to guarantee that a man's children were truly his biological heirs. And this was because polygamy was the rule of the day and the common practice, and so men had children by many women. And if you think that the establishment of the institution of marriage uh, when it began uh, about five centuries ago or four and a half centuries ago, uh, changed the practice of polygamy in that sense. Think again. But at least then, men had uh, legitimate children versus illegitimate children. And polygamy was the common uh, thing throughout history. And it was even mentioned in the Bible that King David and King Solomon had up to 2,000 wives. In a few cultures, a woman would marry several men, but of course, these are much rarer cultures. Now, I want to pause here and uh, go back to the idea that marriage was the result of the evolvement of civilization or the evolution of, of civilization. Because initially, and, and I'm getting this information mainly from a series of six books written by Jean M. Awell, A-U-E-L. 
And she's written the Children of the Earth series. And in those books, uh, in the first book, she concentrates on the very, very first primitive uh, type of tribe. Uh, and of course, this is all, uh, her books are based on research and anthropology. So it's actually something that's happened. Uh, it, it's put into a, fic a, fi a fictional context because, you know, she wants to create a story and a love story through it. But, but the, um, the facts about the clans were true and were researched with anthropologists and vetted by them. The point is that the first, very first tribes, uh, didn't have the concept of marriage. They had the concept of families living in a cave, but the cave, uh, or, the, but the family didn't have to be necessarily a husband and wife. It could be, you know, uh, parents, um, you know, grandparents, uncles, whatever. And it could be like a large group up to like 30 or 40 people in one cave. So it wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, a strict uh, family as in mother, father, children in that sense. In the ancient tribes, uh, women were subject to men most of the time. And even if a man lived in a cave with, let's say, one woman uh, and different uh, members of, of uh, both families or whatever, still he had the uh, prerogative of bedding any woman. So he would just, you know, give the woman a sign that he wants to bed her in, the pub in public or otherwise, and he would actually bed her. And that was initially how uh, things were done in very, very early tribes. But the more the tribes um, evolved, and that's what we see in the future books, uh, especially in books three, four, and five that she's written um, in that series, basically what happens is the more they, uh, I mean, the characters encounter uh, tribes that are more evolved, uh, the more you could see the concept of marriage seeping in uh, the culture. So I just want to give you this uh, background, you know, about tribal life, because we always think of the world as it is today, you know, uh, with civilization and cities and buildings and all that. And we forget that initially a man and woman lived with the earth, uh, you know, and were nomads, basically, uh, most of the time. Okay, so let's go back now to, um, if you want, the, the historical progression. And it's very important to note that it was the church, the Catholic church especially, that imposed the concept of monogamy in a marriage, because we're just saying before that, you know, uh, polygamy was the rule of the day. And there was actually an ongoing battle between the Western nobility and the Catholic Church, we're talking mostly in Europe, of course, because at the time uh, the USA didn't exist or was still in very early stages uh, of existence. So the Western nobility and the Catholic Church, you know, went head to head on the issue of monogamy because, you know, the nobility wanted to retain the right to marry more than one woman. And that was actually the reason why King Henry VIII of England, and he's very famous for this, he 
you know, cut ties completely with the Catholic Church, and he established what was called the Church of England, otherwise also known, known as the um, Anglican Church, and they end up marrying six wives, and he also annulled his first marriage, and that wasn't, uh, you know, allowed in the in the Catholic Church at all that you could annul a marriage or get a divorce. But in the end, the Catholic Church prevailed, and monogamy was accepted as part of marriage by the ninth century. Yet, despite the rule of the Catholic Church for monogamy, uh, men took it as having to marry only one woman, but that didn't preclude the men from having affairs with mistresses. And so the concept of monogamy was the idea that, you know, you you marry one woman instead of several women. So you would have one wife instead of several wives, but um, it didn't mean that you wouldn't have other women in your life as a man. Except that any children born out of wedlock, out of the institution of marriage, were considered illegitimate and had no claim to their father's name, no claim to their father's wealth, and so they could not inherit anything. And that lasted for around 10 centuries. So it was from the 9th century that the Catholic Church, you know, uh, ruled for monogamy or, or, you know, advocated monogamy. But it wasn't until the 19th century that monogamy started to mean uh, no mistresses either. So it was only in the 19th century, which is basically the 1800s, uh, you know, for men to um, take it upon themselves to be faithful to one woman and not have mistresses. Well, Despite men's seeming misfortune with the institution of marriage, it helped improve women's status, especially after the 8th century, when the church um, made it a rule that a church blessing had to be part of a ceremony, of the marriage ceremony. And what also was important was the 1563 Council of Trent where the sacrament of marriage was written into canon law. And you might ask me, how did women's status improve? Well, first they were shown more respect, and they had the security of marriage in a sense that their rights were protected as wives because divorce was not allowed. Especially that in the case of infertility, uh, women initially were either returned to their families, or the men would enforce a dissolution of marriage, uh, or they would take an, a second wife or more in order to have children. Of course, women were still subordinate to their husbands, and the church still viewed men as the heads of families, and this was seen more um, acutely in poorer communities, because the wealthy in the end, could do whatever they wanted. But the rules of the church applied very strictly to the poorer communities. And there you see, you know, the strict rules of uh, no divorce allowed uh, as being something very severe sometimes in those communities. And the rules of the church on disallowing any means of contraception was very strict in poorer communities as well. And also because... Um, women were still subordinate in poorer communities, you would see more cases, for example, of marital rape.
In all cases, uh, 1920 was a major turning point in the USA when women won the right to vote because it meant that women were now more or less equal to men. And this 1920 uh, right to vote led to the 1970s recognition of marital rape by law. So before, marital rape wasn't seen as marital rape. So a man could have intercourse with his wife however way he wanted, whenever he wanted, she had, to, she didn't have a say uh, whether to consent or not. And 1970, uh, the idea that, yes, there is something called marital rape became uh, accepted by law. And this was something very major in the USA. And of course, it trickled into uh, a lot of European countries as well, and uh, now, of course, uh, it exists in Australia and Canada. And add to all these circumstances the bad economic situation, especially after World War One and World War Two, when men left to, for war and work was done by women. And so women gained a surer footing in the institution of marriage as an equal partner. Of course, the concept of love did also help the marriage institution and women's status because women at first were taken as wives for breeding, just for having children. But with the concept of romantic love came also the concept of desire and what some might call manipulation of men by women, <laughs> but what I would view as the man wanting to please his um, beloved, and so he does his utmost to keep her happy, because then he too would be happy. Except that love entered the picture rather late, towards the 12th and 13th centuries, and it was believed to have been initiated by the French. The French had created the model of the knight in shining armor who fell in love with someone else's wife. And, of course, this seeped into, uh, you know, European literature as a whole. And you would see it in English literature in the uh, story of King Arthur, Sir Lancelot, and Queen Guinevere. And if you're not familiar with that uh, story, King Arthur was king, Queen Guinevere was his wife, and Sir Lancelot was a knight who came into uh, the realm of King Arthur and fell in love with Queen Guinevere. It is also said that in the 12th century, advice columnists told men to woo women by praising them, especially praising their beauty. And in the end, of course, the evolution of the institution of marriage paved the way to same-sex marriages, especially when love came into the picture. Because if marriage is based on love and sexual attraction, then why shouldn't there be same-sex marriages? And of course, same-sex marriages isn't something new. We, we see it now as something new. But throughout history, even as uh, ancient as Nero, Nero's time, Nero was known to have married two men in his lifetime. And there were so many other kings and, you know, uh, prominent men who married uh, of the same sex. Uh, throughout history and basically it's not something new but you know because uh, trends die and then when they are revived again uh, they are seen as new and controversial anyway it is very important to note here 
that this evolution, if you will, of the institution of marriage occurred mainly in the Western civilization. And even though many countries today emulate that model, there are still villages in modernized countries that uphold strict rules on marriage. For example, some villages or tribes even, because, you know, you still have tribes in uh, huge parts of Africa, in some parts of Asia, and also in some parts of America and Canada. So um, this is not something exclusive to, let's say, third world countries. But in all cases, it's, of course, more prevalent in non-Western uh, countries. And so basically, uh, such, you know, um, uh, rules uh, on marriage, for example, uh, could be enforcing arranged marriages uh, to strengthen ties between two families. Other strict rules is, for example, not allowing anyone to marry outside the village or the tribe. And this allows for marriage between cousins, for example, where it is very common in such uh, uh, cultures. And the idea there is to keep the bloodline pure. And on the other hand, some other villages and tribes uh, have quite the opposite rules, that no one should marry from within the village or tribe. And of course, in many cultures and uh, tribes and villages, women don't necessarily have the same legal rights that Western women have. Anyway, on this note, I will end this kind of brief journey through the history of marriage. I hope you found it enjoyable. And next week, we will go through, you know, uh, an in-depth view on the functionality of marriage, what makes a marriage more functional or more dysfunctional. And I hope you'll join me then for part two of On Marriage. For now, I wish you a lovely weekend and I send you all my love. Till next Friday.